listening to Symmetry Health 360. This episode is brought to you by Symmetry Revenue Cycle Management Solutions, a tech-enabled specialty RCM team for post-acute and behavior health organizations. Join us for this episode, the return of Cash is Queen, expert advice on how to increase cash flow to your home health and hospice agency. Please join Jess Stover, Principal and Lynn Labarda, VP of Post-Acute RCM at Symmetry, experts in home health and hospice billing, to discuss opportunities that agencies have at their fingertips to increase cash flow that you may not have considered before. Hey everyone, I'm Jess Stover, I'm SVP and Principal here at Symmetry. And Lynn, I'll let you introduce yourself. Thank you, Jess. I'm also really excited to be here. My name is Lynn Labarda, and I'm the Vice President of Post-Acute Revenue Cycle Management with Symmetry as well. We're excited to be on this podcast. Heck yeah. So today's title, what we're talking about is the return of cash is queen, expert advice on how to increase your cash flow for home health and hospice agencies. So Lynn, I'm going to talk about why we're picking cash is queen. This is my motto. I love it. I've been using it for years and I'm just going to go down memory lane for a minute and kind of share the story. So cash is queen. Really when we've gotten to the bottom of it, you've heard this over the years, cash is king, cash is king. And of course you can use king, queen, whatever you want. But last year I was doing a podcast very similar to this and I just blurted out, cash is queen, king is queen, <laughs> power to people's. <laughs> and so it just kind of stuck and everybody on the call was just loving it. And so then I brought it out more and more and admittedly, and I can't take credit for this piece of it, but someone that I did a podcast with had used it and referenced it for one of his presentations out. And he used it as the most important for our chess players out there. And admittedly, I don't play chess, but for those of you who do, <laughs> he was saying that the queen is the most important piece on a chess board. And so mm-hmm. it's most strategic. And I know we're going to talk about the strategy behind cash collections today. So I was like, well, hey, this works out it's perfectly. Brilliant. It's brilliant. Yeah. And you know, I love that title. I mean, cash is queen. It's so fun. It's so fun. And that's a great point about chess. I had no idea. So, so it makes a lot of sense. Uh, I I mean, yeah, super awesome topic. I love it. Yeah, it really is the most important topic too, when you're talking revenue cycle management and, and, you know, really starting off, I would love to start right with the aging reports, right? Mm. I mean, when we talk about the most vital report to really dig through it's your accounts receivable aging report. In a lot of different software systems, it's just called aging or AR report. It's as easy as that. Pull it down. It usually separates it out into 30-day buckets. The first thing I do, if it doesn't separate it out in buckets, I create buckets in the yeah, file the, itself. The softwares, right? a lot of the softwares allow you to customize the AR reports. So yeah, doing it in buckets, I agree. I think it's the easiest way to really look at that AR report. And I agree with you completely. That is one of the most important reports and agencies really should live and die by these reports, really. They really, really should. And 
What is the threshold that you look at the report at? I typically start, I know 90 days is the hot topic in terms of best practice, anything over 90 days and what's the benchmark for that, which I know we'll talk about, but I actually start looking at it right at 61 days. Cause if you think about it, insurance companies, regardless of what payer it is, if it's a traditional Medicare, Medicaid, commercial account, within 60 days, if it's not paying or hit payment floor, I want to know what's going on. Yeah, yeah. Right? it's worrisome at that point. Yeah. And I know we're going to talk a little bit more about that, but I agree yeah. with you at 61 days, you really have a limited time as far as your timely deadline. It's approaching quickly. So yep. you really need to get a head start and start looking at why these claims are still outstanding to give you enough time to research and be able to get to the root cause of what's wrong with the claim to be able to fix it. Because you know that it's not always as simple as pressing a couple buttons and, oh, you know, it's a type of bill error, this or that, and, you know, resubmit it in a couple of minutes. Sometimes it's a, it's complicated, right? Yeah. And, and it takes time. And if you're looking at claims in the AR report, mostly at 90, it really mm -hmm. limits that time frame and it starts, you know, making you sweat. <laughs> yeah. I'm usually sweating at the 31st day. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. A anxious out there, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Especially with the Medicare payer, you know, yeah. after that 31 days, you start worrying about it. Now it's really surprising though. I've yeah. seen yeah. how many small to even mid-sized agencies that really don't use the AR reports or That's they true. don't maintain them as clean as possible. And I know we're going to talk a little bit more of, of what that means, but it's just a vital report for the agency to keep an eye on. Yeah. How often do you look at it? Honestly, we're looking at it every day, yeah. every day. Uh, I mean, yeah. you know, uh, at Symmetry, we've got a team dedicated just to AR follow-up yep. and that AR report is like the Bible. Yeah, We're looking it really at it is. daily. And like you said, ideally claims 31 and over, just keep an eye on them, see if they're in process status, that they haven't flipped to a rejection status. And then, yeah, like you said, 61 days, that's it. There's yeah. something going on. Yeah, no, I'm totally with you. And we'll pull it down. We'll try to pull it weekly um, mm -hmm. to refresh those balances to see within our system if there's anything that has fallen off. But if there's a balance there and it's not addressed within a weekly cadence that you're looking at that report, there's something that requires human intervention. I guess to that point too, because I, I think technology obviously plays such a really important role in the collections piece. And I, I've always been an advocate of there, there's a person aspect to this business and there's a technology piece mm -hmm, to this business, mm -hmm, right? Mm -hmm. And they have to work together. And one of the areas where I think it really comes to light, not just, you know, the software systems themselves or the EMRs is the clearinghouse. Mm. And, mm -hmm. Right. Because there's a lot of work you can do up front. And if you're not looking at, say, clearinghouse rejections every day, mm. you're losing out on opportunities to impact your cash, right? Completely. We get the question often on, you know, how often do we work those clearinghouse rejections? Yeah. And the answer is simple. It needs to be daily. Here at Symmetry, we've got our own clearinghouse and that clearinghouse has 
sophisticated denial management features, and we use that to really better manage our customers' billing. And typically, the clearinghouses that are associated to the agency software themselves aren't as sophisticated. And we're able to just look at first pass clearinghouse rejections, which is basically claims that haven't really hit the insurance company system yet. So we've got that opportunity right there on the spot to make those claim corrections, right? And it could be something simple like a zip code, patient identifier information, whatever it is, but it's super helpful to look at those clearinghouse rejections daily. And just those are going to be quick fixes you can do upfront without it really hitting the payer and getting complex. So yeah, yeah, I agreed with that. Another report I was just thinking about when you were talking there is the on-build report. Mm. If we're not looking at the on-build report and specifically the aged of those, you know, going back mm -hmm. to what we were talking about earlier, 60 days, we're losing out on opportunities to resolve those timely. And oftentimes if we can get a category or a reason that is triggered by the on-build, then we can figure out the root cause of that upstream in the revenue cycle and say, okay, this claim is being held for a visit. And you can then trend it by mm -hmm. unverified visit and then really go to the operators at the agency level to, you know, we do this all the time, right? Here are all the things that is impacting your cash. Mm -hmm. Let's talk about not just, hey, hand you over all the unverified visits, but what is your process to make sure that these visits are getting entered into the system timely so that they can be dropped on the bill in a timely manner? Because how many times are we billed visits after the initial claim went oh, out? Oh my God. Oh my right. God. Absolutely. I, you know, yeah. agreed. I think we're going to do a, a webinar just on unbilled reports, yeah. right? That's how mission critical it is for an agency. And this is one of those reports that, that I think from an administration level should be looked at daily because yeah. you're right. These claims are basically being held for some reason. Typically it's a clinical reason, a visit you know, management right. reason, and it's not allowing the claim to be billed, which in turn is holding your cash. It's affecting your cash flow. In fact, this is such a relevant topic that we're really talking about right now, because I actually had a phone call this morning oh, yeah? With, an, yeah, with an agency that didn't really, um, I think they did an audit from a financial standpoint, and then they yeah. kind of came across the unbilled report, and it seems like they weren't really looking at that unbilled report in any cadence whatsoever. And they discovered about two hundred thousand dollars of unbilled claims. And that was Whoa. just a phone call I had this morning. Oh you know, God. and yeah, and we see this all the time. I mean, like you said, we try yeah. to alert our customers not just send them the unbilled report, but have a conversation with them and talk to them about the importance of that and why these claims are sitting there and what that, like you were saying, what's the root cause? Could it be a visit issue? Could it be an orders issue? I think one of the two biggest issues this agency that I was talking to this morning noticed is the orders not signed. It was the orders and the visit. Yeah. And I mean, you're talking about $200,000 of visits just sitting there. And I think from in the conclusion of the call, it seemed like more than 50% of the claims of that $200,000 were going to be unbillable 
unreimbursable because they were already overtimely filing. Wow. Yeah, it's sad, you know, I mean, you could avoid that. Yeah, I think visibility into it is the first step. But I yeah. also think that there's an opportunity to really go back to the individual payer contracts that our clients have and determine if whatever is set up in the system mm. is correct. We oh, had an true. agency that we met with on site a couple of weeks ago, actually. And they were holding all their, essentially every single pair was being held for on-site orders. And, you know, when we talked to them about it, we said, hey, let's look at your individual payer contracts and really make sure it's spelled out that the claims need to be sent after signed orders. Oh, that's a good point because it could be a commercial payer that doesn't require that. And that's exactly right. And so what we found was these contracts didn't have any kind of specific language that called out unsigned mm. orders, unsigned face-to-face too was the other one. And we actually changed those payer setups and overnight we're able to bill about $580,000 wow. overnight. My gosh, that's yeah. unbelievable. Yeah. You're yeah. right. Yeah. Going to so, the payer setups. Yeah. I think the payer setups are really important to understand. And the requirements by each payer mm-hmm. are really important. One of the things that I've talked to one of our clients recently about was, what does it mean specifically that in a payer contract, it says we follow Medicare guidelines? Mm-hmm. You know, I, I, and I know you're laughing because a <laughs> lot of our customers ask this question. And when we onboard new clients, we'll sink our teeth into those payer contracts. Mm-hmm. Um, Oftentimes, it's not going to be good enough for me to say, okay, they follow Medicare guidelines, which by the way, Medicare, traditional Medicare's timely filing is 365 days from day to service. But some of those Medicare Advantage don't follow that guideline. No, I've seen them at 90 to 180 days. Right. So they say they follow Medicare guidelines, but then they pick and choose Yep. what they want to follow from a Medicare standpoint and what they don't. So you make right. a really good point there. Yep. Digest that contract, break it down, see what is the reality yep. for this particular payer? What does it really mean? Like in quotations, right? The uh, Medicare guidelines. And then you're yeah. right. You may be able to get out a bunch of claims where you don't need to have the face-to-face. Yeah, exactly. Time. And that yeah. kind of goes back to the point of, what's going to bring in an influx of cash. Mm -hmm. And there might be opportunities. Now there might be opportunities where you're following everything specifically by those payer contracts. But oftentimes what I've seen is the payer contracts, you know, you go through contracting, you negotiate your rates and that's what is the most important piece of it. And then every other piece of the guidelines is eh, kind of pushed to the side. All right, that's important, but that's for our billers to figure out later, right? But when you're thinking about cash implications to that, our teams need to be able to navigate that pretty quickly. And if it's on hold for something that is not spelled out in those contracts, boom, it's. Yeah. And just that's such a good point. And that I think highlights how the finance team and the clinical team need to be on the same team, (laughs) right? And they need to really understand each other because 
I've been, and I've spoken to agencies where the finance team needs that cash influx and understands that something needs to happen, but the clinical team digs their feet in the ground, in the sand and says, no, we need to follow Medicare guidelines and they just don't want to budge. So it's really important for the clinical side to have an open mind. And the same thing, I mean, with certain cases with the finance side, right? Yeah. If orders are required to bill a claim, finance can't tell you to do anything else, right? Yeah. You've got to have orders, but sometimes just exploring and digging into those contracts, like you said, and some people just, you know, agencies just assume that we have to follow Medicare guidelines, right? Yeah. So that's actually a fantastic point. It's almost, I almost want to say it's thinking a little bit out of the box. Yeah. It is. It's navigating all those and really raising the flag to say, how is this set up? Going back to technology again, how is it set up in the system? How is it set up in the clearinghouse? Is it getting billed and the first pass through without any kind of human intervention? Is it paying? Well, Mm -hmm. that's a good setup. If you know that it's going back to the aging, if it's hitting 61 days and you're having to manually touch that payer's claims, something ain't right. Whether it's upstream in the revenue cycle from the agency perspective, operations, if it's something that's a setup, there, mm. there's something that is causing the claims to not get paid. And a lot of these payment floor windows are anywhere from 14 days, you know, 30 days. I mean, Medicaid is like 60 they, days. They like, oh, like yeah. sometimes in a week in some states. Right. Exactly. Yeah. And sometimes you'll submit a claim and it'll say approved to pay, right? Yeah. Right off the bat, yeah. right? Yeah. Beautiful. It's a beautiful thing, right? Yeah. And you know, other other portals, uh, they'll make it real challenging to, yeah. to figure out. <laughs> like the V like the VA, for example. Yeah. You know, in yeah, some in some counties, the VA could take a while for you to be able to see that payment processing. But you know, I know they're yeah. getting better at it. And you know, when yeah. it comes to the payer setups, in my experience, I would venture to say that a good 70% of claim rejections stem from payer setup issues. Oh, yeah. I mean, one of the first things we do at Symmetry when we get a new customer is we like to review all of the payer setups, especially when there are certain payers that we're getting claim rejections from. And a really high percentage of the time, it's a payer setup issue. Yeah. So it could be solved right at the root. Right. Because the payer setup is really the rule. It's the payer rule that's inserted into the EMR system that it's basically tells the EMR how to generate a claim. Right. So imagine if that's not set up correctly, then all of the claims are going to be billed in that format that you've set up in the payer setup portion of it. So you know, we actually get kind of excited when it's a payer setup issue because it's, I know. you know, right. It's, it's yep. not too difficult. And then yep. all of a sudden, if you've had hundreds of thousands of dollars, uh, you know, in a certain payer that has been held up, rejected, you do a payer setup fix and boom, all of a sudden you get all this money. It's super exciting. Yeah. Cash is I queen. That's <laughs> great. I love it. I love it. I, one thing I was thinking about when you were talking too is the frequency. Like oh. how often are you billing and what's the process for yep. getting claims out the door? You know, sometimes there's an art and a science to billing mm. those payers, right? So, some yeah. payers, 
you get yourself in a little bit of a pickle when you bill weekly because you want that cash flow. But then some of those payers, especially commercial payers, they don't understand the weekly cycle. And so if all your visits aren't on one claim for a month, it's almost like they just see it as an overlap and kick it out, right? So you got to be careful about that because I get it. You, you want to increase your, your volume of claims, but then from an accounts receivable strategy perspective, that's not, that might actually bite you in the butt. Yeah, no, <laughs> right? no for sure. For sure. I think a fair way to think of this is really, it, it really does depend on the payer, yeah, right? So your billing frequency depends on the payer. I would recommend if it was Medicare, right? And of course, all of the clinical requirements have been met. You bill yep. daily, you bill yep. daily, right? Yep. Whatever is ready yep. from a Medicare standpoint or a Medicare Advantage standpoint, you're billing daily because essentially it takes time anyway, right? For you to meet those requirements. So a month yep. could have gone by before you can actually send a final claim, right? And yep. of course, we've got the NOAs for Medicare, different requirements. Like for Medicaid though, Medicaid, I think, a good rule of thumb is maybe weekly, right? Because yeah. they are paying weekly. I agree. But you're right. The commercial payers vary. They vary. Yeah, they you do. know, like from a VA standpoint, if you don't have all of the claims, you know, the visits rather in the month, you know, claim, mm-hmm. then it can get dicey, like yeah. you were saying. Some commercial payers are easy to bill weekly. It really depends. I know. I know. I, I, it, it does depend. You do test claims just to see mm-hmm. how, how they process and pay. And then you can apply that to the greater good. Yeah. I, I've found success with that as well. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. We've been doing test claims for years and it really does save a lot of time and just a lot of wasted time sometimes just rebilling and rebilling and rebilling claims without really understanding what's going on, but sending that test claim out, seeing how the payer pays it or rejects it or whatever absolutely is, is super helpful. Yeah. And I think about like the dreaded five o'clock on a Friday Mm -hmm. and some orders came back signed and it looks like all right, I got to get these claims dropped and you got to just know like a good process, right? So if you're doing those billing sweeps throughout the the day and the week, and you know that there's going to be a billing sweep at say 515, well, make sure that you're alerting the billing team so that you can get that bill dropped before the week's end. And then you're not Mm -hmm. coming in Monday. I mean, it just goes back to knowing the billing frequencies, knowing the payers' limits for when they're going to drop for payment floor. I feel like, Lynn, we could talk about this all freaking day. Yeah, we really can. There's, it's just, there's so much payer-specific knowledge that you need to have when it comes to billing. I mean, people actually told me, oh, billing is easy. You know, you just press a couple buttons and you send a claim. I'm like, yeah, you know, that part's really easy, but then the hard part is when that claim hits the insurance and then all hell breaks right. loose. <laughs> right? It's like, all right, the claim doesn't get paid. It's nowhere to be found. You call the payer and they have no idea. I know. I know. You on your line. So it's not an easy business. It's not. Same. It's fun though. <laughs> it is fun. It definitely is keeps it really exciting. It does. <laughs> I love just 
just like you, Jess, like I'm so happy that I'm doing this podcast with you because you, Same. I really, I'm really passionate about this subject. I, I guess I'm a, I'm a nerd, right? I, <laughs> I, I love billing in home health and hospice. I know. Like, and I know you do too. So I do. it's really fun having this conversation with you. I and, agree. Yeah. I mean, yeah. So I think just some tips and tricks that hopefully you're pulling from us today, specifically that aging report, that aging report is so critical to make sure you're running it, running it on a weekly basis, at the very least, pulling it down, looking to see what those balances are, specifically those age balances, 61 days, right, Lynn? That, that's oh, yeah. Our, oh, yeah. That's our target. Yep. I think another thing really as a key takeaway for everybody is the on-build report. Make sure you're looking at that and that not just the revenue cycle or the billing team has visibility, but everybody in the agency understands specifically what is asked of them and what those hold reasons specifically mean, how everybody can get involved, how that impacts cash. That's so, so critical. Clearing houses. I feel like we could talk a lot more about clearinghouse rejections, Lynn, but yeah, you know, yeah, that'll be for the next podcast, maybe. Yeah, absolutely. And those clearinghouse rejections specifically should be targeted daily, mm-hmm. right? I, quick fixes, I, quick fixes. Yeah. General rule of thumb, if you build, make sure you're going to the clearinghouse that same day yep. and anything that's rejected, work it. Work yeah, it, work it. It will sit there. And yeah, it will and not the, pay. Yeah, and the payer setups, right? Yeah, oh. you're absolutely right. The payer setups, knowing those specific contractual terms, that will be the key to your success as well. Because if you can map those contract terms back to the EMR system and those setups specifically, you're going to win no matter what. Because then you've met your contractual obligations by the payers. And you've reaped the benefits of your system being able to submit all the claims that absolutely can. So yeah, I think all these things are just absolutely fantastic tidbits. We're really hoping that this is helpful to you. There's obviously so much more and our team is absolutely on standby to be able to talk through any of these things and we're the experts. So we, we do this. And as Lynn mentioned, we have a passion for it. We, 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 love we really this. do. <laughs> we really do. I mean, we're excited to talk about this topic and to highlight these really important points. And like yeah. you said, this is just scratching the surface. I'm excited to do yeah. some more podcasts with you and dive okay. in maybe a little deeper into denial management and some payment trends, denial management trends as well. I mean, there's so many different topics that we can really highlight and hopefully help agencies increase their cash flow because, you know, cash is queen. Cash is queen. (laughs) Love it. Awesome. Thank you so much for having this conversation with me. And thank you all for joining us on today's uh, podcast. We're Really excited to be with you and hopefully this was helpful for all. Thank you so much for joining us and find us in your favorite podcast apps. Thanks a lot. Thanks so much, guys.